This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Now it's the time for us to to, to no longer be tossed to and fro, no longer to be, be thrown off and, and, and wobbled by the things that life is throwing, but, but we are steady. We are steady. Our feet are planted on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. Our feet are planted on the foundation that has been established in this ministry through the teaching of the Word. And we are ready to move forward into what God has called us to. You know, as we think about these teachings, these teachings on salvation, what I want you all to keep in mind is that, is that you have to do the, the examination of, you know, your, your position. Where, where do you stand with God? Where do you stand with God? What's, what's, what's your position? We talked about restoration. Restoration was about putting you back in position. Think about your direction. Not just where you are, but, but what needs to change in you now? It's, it's not enough to say that, that I've come this far and now I'm going to stay. No, no, he didn't bring you this far to leave you. Ninety-nine and a half. Ninety-nine and a half won't do. Ninety-nine. What needs to change in you now? You need to consider, what are your problems? What's, what's your problem? What, what, what's your problem? What do you need to let go of now? Not what you let go of before, but what do you need to let go of now? In this season, when God has given us this grace for this dispensation, what do you need to let go of now? You need to consider your progress. Your progress. What's, what's been your response to discipline and correction? What's been your response to discipline and correction? We learned that, that you understand your maturity is not based on age, but it's based on time. And that's the time it takes for you to receive the instruction and for you to obey. That's how you know that you're mature. You need to understand what's going on with your praise. What's wrong with your praise? Is, are you still in the posture of worship? Have you remained in the posture of worship? And we know that worship... It's always directed from the lesser to the greater. Have you become so full of yourself, so knowledgeable, so well healed and experienced that you're no longer in the posture of worship where you're saying, you know, Lord, you deserve all my praise. You deserve all the honor. You deserve all the glory. None of it is for me. None of it is for me. And so as we go into this teaching on forgiveness, about grace in forgiveness, we want you to examine 
how we can better extend forgiveness to restore this generation. As we go into this teaching about grace and forgiveness, what I want you to get out of it is how can we better extend forgiveness to restore this generation. Now listen, this is going to be a balanced teaching. If nothing else, I, I understand that, 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 that we've had some, some teachings about forgiveness in, in, in times past and there's been some, some, uh, some discussions about forgiveness and so, I, I, I fully comprehend the message of salvation. So don't, don't think that Brother Everhart is leaving anything out. And so, we're going to focus on the extension of forgiveness. Now, we may not specifically expand on this is, this is where I don't, I don't want you to get, get twisted in this message. We may not specifically expand on, because of time, repentance, turning away from sin and turning back to God. We may not specifically expand on restitution. When you've done wrong, that you need to repay those that you have done wrong. We may not specifically expand on reconciliation. What you as the offender, what you need to do in order to, to get back into grace with those that you have offended. But these principles, if you just listen, and you just, and you just, if you just listen, listen attentively, you'll find that those principles are going to be found throughout the teaching. You say, well, Brother Abhart, why aren't you going to, why, why aren't we going to dig in there? Why aren't we going to dig? Because those are the things that the offender, that's what the offender needs to do. Those are the actions that the person that has created the offense, that's what they, that's what they need to do. But listen, I'm talking to you that have been offended. We're going to focus on you that need to extend forgiveness. Listen, sin is sin. Sin is sin. And we're not going to excuse sin. You'll see it as we get into the teaching. But one thing that we know is that God has already judged sin. The consequences of sin are already built in. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. Sinners know that they are sinners. The lost know that they are lost. What's missing? What's missing is who will declare that the gift of God? Who will declare that the gift of God is eternal life. Listen, if you don't tell your family, if you don't tell your neighbor, they may never hear it. You may be the only church that they ever get a chance to experience. 
And so we need to understand how can we better extend this grace of God? How can we better extend forgiveness? Because if we don't, the world will never know. If we don't lift him up, how can men be drawn? Listen, God is not shocked by sin. He is not shocked by sin. So why are we, why are we shocked by sin? Jesus, what he does is he sees beyond the sin. He sees beyond the sin. And what he sees is the person that is hurting. The person that is hurting and that is ready, that is ready to be made whole. If, if only... If only they could reach out. He sees the person that is hurting and is ready to be made whole. Go to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. Listen, the reason why we're teaching this message is because we've been stingy with forgiveness. We have withheld the grace of God. And there are various reasons because of our own offenses. Because of our own high-mindedness. We've tried to put ourselves in the position of God and says, you need to pay me back. That, that's not forgiveness. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness doesn't demand payment. It forgives the debt. Go to Luke chapter 8. Famous passage of scripture for those of you that read your Bibles. This is Jesus and he's pressing his way through the crowd. And we're going to, we're going to start in at verse 43 just so you know where we're headed in Luke chapter 8. But Jesus, he's pressing his way through the crowd. And it seems like everybody that he comes across has something that they want from him. As Jesus is making his way through, he's actually on his way to satisfy another request that's being made. Because a man has said that my daughter is sick unto death. Master, can you come heal her? And everybody can sympathize. Everyone can say, oh, yes, yes, that, that sweet little girl, that sweet, innocent child. Jesus, you got to help her. Jesus, you have to help her. And it's Jesus, as he's, as he's making his way through, on his way, on another mission, the crowd, they're, they're pressing in on him. And it says here in verse 33, and a woman having an issue of blood, 12 years which has spent all her living upon the physicians, neither could be healed of any. She came in behind him. She snuck up behind Jesus. Came behind him and touched 
the border of his garment. And immediately her issue of blood staunched. In verse 45 it says, And Jesus said, Who touched me? I just love it. Here, here people are, 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 are pressing in all around him with their needs and what they want, with what their hopes and their wishes are. And they're, they're, they're bumping against the Savior. They're, they're, they're pushing against the Savior. But this woman approached Jesus in her hurt, in her pain. And she said, if I could just, if I could just make contact. If I could just make contact. And she touched the border of his garment. And when she touched him, Jesus said, who touched me? Listen, there are people out there that God they, they, want to touch the, they want to touch the Savior. They want to touch the Savior. But there's a crowd around. And they're saying, if I could just find my way to the, to the border. If I could just find my way that knows someone, that knows someone that can put in a word. If I could just... If I could just grab you, brother, if I could just grab you for, for a second. I know I'm not dressed right in my breath. You know, you, I know you smell what I, what I had this morning, this afternoon, and just a few minutes ago. But listen, if I could just, if I could just grab your attention for just a second. I just want to touch the border. I just want to touch the border of the garment. And these are the people, these are the people that the Lord desires. These are the people that the Lord desires. We're too busy saying, straighten up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, pay your child support, go to work on time, put your Xbox down. We're giving lectures. And we're scolding. And they're saying... I just, if I could just, if I could just see a little grace. If there was just a border there. If there was just the, the hem. You know, I'm not, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough for the full garment. I know I can't, I'm not in a position now where I can come before and stand in the very presence. But if I could just perceive the hem. If I just had a little bit. If I just had a little bit of freedom from these burdens and from these chains, of someone that would hear me and not judge me, someone that would see beyond my sins, that would see beyond my chains and see that I'm, I'm ready to change. I, I'm ready. For change. Jesus said, who touched me? Who touched me? 
Listen. God's already, he's already judged the sin. He's already judged sin. So why, why are we poking around and trying to quantify it? Why are we picking at it and trying to categorize it and saying, well, this is a greater sin and this is a lesser sin. And ooh, baby, I can't believe you did that. And you did what? You came from where? Listen, the grace of God, you believers, the grace of God, it is directed towards you and your salvation. You didn't do anything to earn it. It was a free gift. Grace is working in you for your sanctification. And you're so glad. You say, the places I used to go, I don't go anymore. The things I used to do, I don't do anymore. The grace of God is working in you for your sanctification. But it's also working through you. Grace is also working through you with the desire to restore this generation. The desire to restore this generation. I got I to gotta press on. Listen, to forgive, what does that mean? It means to extend grace. The gracious pardon of sins. Listen, I got Greek and I got Hebrew words. One of the words in grace has the, 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 the root, has the, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the root charis, which means grace, which we know means the power of God. Another word for grace, it means to, it means to make room. For error or weakness. Forgiveness makes room for error or weakness. Forgiveness makes up for imperfections. Forgiveness is the sending away. It's the sending away or the cancellations of debts. There's two renderings of the word. One is one has the it means the extension of grace. The other the other meaning of, of in, in the Greek of, of the word forgiveness is to to send away or is to to cancel the debt. And it's it's rendered in the same way that that you that you render the word divorce. It means that that you completely break the hold of that you. Tear asunder. That you break apart. From the debt. From the debt. One of the things about forgiveness is that. Forgiveness. It, it, it already makes room for. Error. It makes room for. Weakness. Are you saying that, 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 that we should sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid. But forgiveness says, I understand where you are. And I'm willing to, to walk with you as you build up those muscles. As you build up that strength to be who God has called you to be.
you know, we're doing some marital counseling and going into the marriage covenant. Husbands, you ought to have some forgiveness coming into that. You ought to already be prepared for errors. Already be prepared for weakness. That way you won't be shocked when you come home and you're like, wait a second. The clothes are still in the washing machine. It's Friday. I remember those clothes were loaded on Monday. What? What? The stuff in the back of the refrigerator is now moving. Those are just the small things. Those are just the small things. You can't be shocked such that you deny the person the opportunity to grow. When you're disgusted by sin, you deny the person the opportunity to grow beyond that. When we talk about forgiveness, that definition is is very similar. We've been talking these last few weeks about redemption. And forgiveness, the definition is, is very, very similar. Not quite the same, but very similar to redemption. And I love the way that my brother, when he talked about redemption, he said that that don't look at it in terms of the monetary that that you've been purchased. But look at redemption in terms of that you've been claimed. That you have been, that, that, that you were once in a castaway pile. But the Lord and His goodness came along and He gathered you in and said that you are precious. I love me some Pixar movies for you children that are watching at home. I know that you'll completely understand. You know that there's a, there's, there's a, a toy. And, you know, these, these, these children, this boy, he has all, all manner of toys. His parents are very indulgent. He has all manner of toys. But there's one, one particular toy that, that he, when he lifts up his boot, the boy's name is written on the bottom. Because he, he's claimed, he says, this, this one belongs to me. This one, this is mine. This is special to me. When you think about redemption, God says, listen, I, I picked you up from the refuse pile. And I wrote my name on you. I wrote my, I said, you know, you belong to me. You, you're special to me. You're precious to me. When we think about redemption, we think about the payment of a debt. But I want you, when you think about forgiveness, I want you to just, just shift your mind a little bit when you think about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not the, it's not the payment of the debt, it's the removal of the debt. The complete removal of the debt. Whereas in redemption, there, 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 there are multiple parties that are involved. You can understand this in redemption, for something to be redeemed, that means that someone had to pay the price. And that payment had to be taken and presented to the one that was owed. And the one that was owed had to accept that payment. 
and says, okay, this is, this is reasonable. This, this, this satisfies the debt. And yes, 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 Jesus paid the price for our sins because we could not pay that price. With the blood that He shed, the sacrifice that He freely gave and presented before the Father, and the Father says, this is my beloved Son in who I am well pleased. But now, think about forgiveness. When you think about forgiveness, forgiveness is directed from the party that is owed. You owe me. And it's directed towards the one that is in debt. Forgiveness comes from the party that is owed. And it's towards the one that is indebted. See, the reason why forgiveness is, is, so, is so powerful is because there, there was no way that we could have paid the price. There was no way that we could have covered the debt. And yes, Jesus paid that debt. He redeemed us. But now we know math. I'm sorry, we know ourselves. Yes, Jesus died to redeem us from our sins, but yet we still struggle with our sins day in and day out. We're still held back. And slowed down by our sins on a daily basis. God knows, but He knows. But thank God for His, His forgiveness that it didn't require, all that it required was for Him to direct His grace towards me. And so when we're talking about this forgiveness, this forgiveness is divine, but it's also at work through the believer. It's at work in you. Because you were able, you were able to direct forgiveness to those that are indebted. Listen, I know we, we talked about reconciliation, we talked about restitution, we talked about repentance, but you were able to first direct forgiveness to those that are indebted to you, to those that would be offensive to you. To those that would be odious, meaning that they stink. You don't even like the way that they smell. You don't agree with their, with their positions. You don't agree with their background. You didn't like their uncle and you don't like them either. But forgiveness is directed towards the one that's indebted. Listen, we can't fall into the error. This, this is where I want to make this distinction about forgiveness versus redemption. Is we cannot fall into the error of saying that we are in a position of redemption. Of saying that we are the ones that need to be repaid for offenses against us. We cannot fall into the error of saying that we need to be repaid for offenses against God. 
that now, now you're in bondage. Now you have put yourself in bondage, trying to put yourself in God's position and saying that you need to repay me and I will judge your payment if it's good or not. Listen, I know it goes against what you've heard before. Because you've heard, you've heard people say that, well, they have to make good on their promises. That the other person, the other person, the other person. Listen. How can they know to do good if they are in sin? I'm sorry. We keep saying in our churchified selves that the other person has to do these things. They have to do good. How can they know to do good if they are in sin? I just love the, uh, the mothers of this church. They're constantly instructing. One time I happened to be caught up in the back, and I know better, but I don't know, maybe my blood sugar was low. I don't know what was going on with Brother Eberhardt. But I was tasked with, with, with mopping a floor. With mopping a floor. And, and I am busy going back and forth, mopping this floor. And one of the mothers came by and says, Brother, you need some, some soap. You need some, some, some cleanser. And she said, and, you, and that, the mop that you're using is dirty. The floor is not getting clean. The floor, so, so how can we expect how can we expect the sinner to bring the acceptable offering? And if they bring that offering, then we'll forgive. That's, where, where do we learn that from? That which is dirty cannot clean. Only the clean can make clean. That which is, you can't take a dirty rag and clean a window with it. The window will now be dirty. You have to take the clean to make the clean. That's just in the natural. How about this? While we were yet sinners, while we were yet lost in our transgressions, Christ directed his love towards us. Sending his son to die for our sins. So we can't fall into the, the trap, the error of trying, to, of trying to get payment from others. We're trying to get payment from the world for offenses that were made against God. What does that mean? I'm talking about trying to cover, trying to cover over bad deeds. Making people try to cover over bad deeds with promises of good works. I just say promises because I know if you're dirty, if the tree is bad, the works are bad as well. But, but you, it, it's so easy to make promises. And we, and we solicit, we ask for 
We, we encourage and bully sinners to promise to do better. The, we, we see this in, in, in the outward show. The outward show of remorse. The outward show of remorse. But the condition of the heart is still not changed. We're saying, okay, you, you, you said that you're sorry. Now you can come and we can fellowship again. But th- their hearts haven't changed. Their hearts have not changed. But you used your influence and the power of the pocketbook and the power of your favor to convince them to, to have an outward show. But inside there was no conversion. You know what happens when this error is introduced, what it does is it compromises the community. It compromises the community. A community is compromised when the standard is degraded. When I say, because you have a gift, I'll allow you to serve, it doesn't matter the condition of your heart. Because I like your voice, we'll allow you to minister. It it doesn't matter what you say. We're just trying to get you off the streets so we'll put you up on a stage. And it doesn't matter that those same people that saw you on stage also see you on the sidewalk, your conduct. A community is compromised when the standard is degraded. And because I'm an engineer and I always think about it in terms of material and structural integrity. When, when, when a piece of material, when a structure, when the house is degraded, what that does is it introduces weak points. It introduces weak points into the body. And you may not even know it. It could go on for years and years and not even matter. But as soon as the body is put under stress, as soon as the structure is challenged, as soon as it's time to rise up, and do what God has called us to do, then we see that the whole thing begins to collapse in on itself. It begins to collapse in on itself. So listen, man's attempts to redeem himself, they're always going to fall short of God's standard. Redemption is in Jesus Christ alone. Your attempts to pay someone for your errors your attempts to curry favor with mankind for your errors, they're always going to fall short. Redemption is in Jesus Christ alone. As you, as you turn, as you change, the change is never towards mama. The change is never towards daddy. The change is never towards pastor 
or the memory of our founding pastor, but the change is always towards Jesus. Lord, what is your standard? What is your desire? What is your will? Listen, when you're the one, and we're just going to touch on this real quickly, because I want to get back. The, the focus is on, is on you that are able to extend forgiveness, but I can't let this go. If you're the one that's in debt, you're the one that has created the offense, you have absolutely no right to demand forgiveness. And I want to say it slowly so you can understand. Because maybe you thought you heard something and you didn't really hear that. If you are the one that is indebted, if you are the one that has created the offense, you have no right to demand forgiveness. You've got to understand, this is, this is a gift. This is a gracious Pardon. Justice demanded satisfaction. Its its consequences were built in. You were bound for death. And you deserved it. It was not a bad rap. You were not falsely accused. You did the deed. But forgiveness is, is, is gracious. It's his gracious pardon of your sins. Listen, forgiveness, it's in the nature of God. We say that he, he does not have forgiveness. He is forgiveness. It's, it's, it's in his, his, his initial response to mankind. Before even the world was formed. Husbands, take note. Before man was even brought before him. Before he even formed mankind. Before it was laid out, the foundations were laid out. He already had forgiveness. He already made provision. To forgive man before man even transgressed, before man was even created. Forgiveness is God's act of releasing man from the penalty of sin. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Listen, if you're enjoying this, this discussion on, on forgiveness tonight, this teaching of forgiveness tonight, you need to make sure you come back next week because next week we're just going to get offended. Next week we're going to get offended. Actually, some of you already are offended. You don't even know it. You're in denial. You already are offended with your brother. You don't even know it. You're, up, you're offended with people you don't even know. People you don't even know. You're already offended with them. 
We're going to talk about our offenses next week. Ephesians chapter 2. Starting with verse 1, it says, And you have he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's he's talking about you. He's talking about you. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. You know what? The thing that you say is so disgusting and so shocking, you used to do all those things. You followed after that same pattern. Maybe you didn't do the same thing. Maybe you were not snorting, but you were smoking. Maybe you weren't smoking, but you was drinking. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past. In the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. He says, don't, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget where you came from. It says, but God. I just, I just love that. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And jump down to verse 8. It says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. I'm sorry. I missed it. Verse 7, That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. In his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus. God, God is like, look, it's, it's a part of who I am. I saved it up. I've stored up forgiveness. I've stored up mercy. I've stored up grace to share with you, to share with my creation. Listen, when we see that, that for by grace are ye saved, and it's not of yourself, it is the gift of God. We see that forgiveness is freely offered. Forgiveness is freely offered. But you've got to accept the gift. You have to accept the gift. He didn't put any requirements on it, but, but you have to accept it. You have to accept the gift. So listen, just because as, as, as you develop this skill of extending forgiveness, just because you extend forgiveness, they, the, the, other, the other person, they still have to accept it. You have to always be willing to. You have to always be in a position to forgive. But the other party, they, they still have to accept forgiveness. Go to 1 John. First John. Just going to start with, with chapter 1. Verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins... 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I just love the way that the the scriptures are structured. It says that the Lord, He is faithful. The Lord, He is just. That's His nature. He's unchanging. Listen. It is the Lord that cleanses us from all unrighteousness. So listen, these are all the things that you don't even have to worry about. Because the Lord is faithful. The Lord is just to forgive. And it is the Lord that cleanses from all unrighteousness. So what's your part? Your part is at the beginning. It says, if we confess our sins. If we confess our sins. So as you're sharing, as you're sharing the message of forgiveness, you need to let people know that, listen, God, he's constant in his equation. God is constant in his equation. He is not changing. He is not wavering. He is faithful. He is just to forgive. He is able. He is able to forgive. He is able to cleanse. Brother, you just don't know what I did. You just don't know where I've been. You just don't know what I, what I, what I said. Listen, He is able. He is able to cleanse. Look, the, the words are right there. To cleanse from all unrighteousness. He's able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Our part is if if we confess, if we say the same thing about our sins that God says about our sins, if we say the same thing about our sins that God says about our sins, This grace is made available. Go to Genesis chapter 6. Forgiveness, it, it, is, it is who God is. It is His nature. It is, it's not what He has, but it's who He is. And thank God for that. If it wasn't for his power, I don't know that there would be enough forgiveness that I could generate. If it wasn't for his love, yeah, I, I don't know that the moral that man's morality would be such that anyone could be saved. Because man's morality, it shifts. It's fickle. It says one thing is good one day and it's not good the next. But thank God that he is forgiveness, that he's able to cleanse us. In Genesis chapter 6, this is what I love, that God, God was the creator of all things. 
He purposed His creation to an expected end. But He gave man the ability to choose. He gave man the ability to choose. Knowing how man would choose. And knowing that man would need to choose again. God made us knowing that we would choose. Knowing that our first choice would be sin. And that we would need to make another choice. So because God knew that that we were going to have to make two choices, He made the first choice. He chose to forgive. I just love that. Genesis chapter 6, starting with verse 3. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be in hundred and twenty years. God says, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna keep arguing with with mankind about this. I have a righteous standard. They know that they have missed that standard. There, there, there's a boundary point. There's an end to long suffering. And now that's it. Your, your days are done. Now the judgment is final. Jump to verse 5 and it says, And God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing in the fowls of the air, for it repented me that I have made them. He's the creator. He's the one that purposed. And he saw what, what, what I love about this is that God, he looked at man. He saw man's wickedness. He saw wickedness in man's actions. He saw wickedness in man's plans. God saw wickedness in man's every desire. He says, you just don't want to do right. And when I, when I see this, I think about the, the people that we have the most trouble with in forgiving. I think about the situations when we have the most challenges in extending the grace of forgiveness. When, when our, our children, they continually go against the standard that has been set. When we try to refrain them and hem them in on one part, and it seems they just find another way that their very thoughts are on wickedness. When we talk to our brother and we spent time with him to get out of that hole that he dug himself in, and we, we cried with him and his family to try to put them in a place where they could move forward only to see them go right back into what they were in before. 
We say that their very thoughts and their desires are on wickedness. I saw this quote and it, and it touched me in my in my heart. It it was a, it was a, a a coach. He was talking about the injustice in this society and, and, and the condition of the of the uh, um, the. Uh, the black man in America or African descendants of those enslaved people. So whatever you want to call it, he says that, that we keep loving this country. We just keep loving this country. But this country doesn't love us. It seems that no matter what we do, their thoughts are wickedness upon wickedness. But it says that in verse 8, listen, you, we're going to have to learn to extend. We're going to have to learn to extend forgiveness. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. See, God, God said, I knew that man was going to choose wrong. But I wanted him to be able to choose again. Knowing that we were going to choose wrong, he made it possible for us to choose again. As we, as we look to extend forgiveness, we shouldn't be shocked. We shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be disgusted that man chooses wrong. Why are we thrown off by the choices that men make? God knew that all of us would choose wrong. So he said, I need to make it possible. For you to choose again. For you to choose again. Go to Ezekiel 33, and this is where we'll wrap up. Ezekiel Ezekiel 33, starting with verse 11. Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil ways. For why will ye die, O house of Israel? The Lord has no pleasure. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God is not trying to see men be sent to hell. 
He's trying to make a way for them to choose again. I love the passage of Scripture. It says, how, how can they hear without the preacher? And how can he preach unless he's sent? How is the world going to be able to choose again unless the church declares a holy standard, extends forgiveness, How is the world going to be able to choose unless the church extends forgiveness? I missed this in John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Going down to verse 14, it says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting, but have eternal life. The same way that that Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, the Son of Man must be lifted up. I know I'm out of time. We'll, get, we'll, we'll, start, we'll start here next time. But listen, when Moses lifted up that serpent, there was, there was healing. There was restoration. There was wholeness. Even so, must the Son of Man be lifted up so that there can be healing, so that there can be restoration, so that there can be wholeness. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.